Welcome to Your Pathways to Wealth, where Charlie Massimo and Peter Anastasian are on a mission to bring clarity to the world of finances. Together, they bring a wealth of knowledge to help you uncover a way to simplify your financial life. Join Charlie and Peter and their guest experts as they venture to help you preserve what you've built and enjoy what you've earned. Now, let's talk wealth. Once upon a time, it was robo-advisors. Today, it's all about artificial intelligence, AI. Charlie Massimo and Peter Anastasian's guest is Wes Krill, Senior Investment Director and Vice President at Dimensional Fund Advisors. And they are going to tackle the role of AI in the financial world. All yours, guys. Thanks, Patrice. And Wes, thanks so much for being with us today. It's probably one of the hottest topics in the world of uh, financial investing, AI. And glad to have you with us. But before we actually get into AI, Wes, for, for those listeners that may not be as familiar, you know, Peter and I have been part of the Dimensional family through our clients since 2003, and it's been a fabulous relationship and one we're really proud of and, and, and really enjoy. So maybe you could give just a little back, b- bit more background on yourself, Wes, as well as Dimensional Fund Advisors. Yeah, of course. And thank you so much for having me on today. I really, uh, really appreciate the time to go over something that is definitely a frequent question that I've been receiving. Um, you know, Dimensional, for anyone who hasn't heard of us, uh, we've been managing equity, fixed income, real estate strategy systematically for almost 42 years now. Uh, you know, and some of us have referred to us as the grandfather of factor investing, although Dimensional and I are the same age, so I don't like to describe us as the grandfather. Uh, but from day one, you know, Dimensional's calling card has been capitalizing on the best research produced in the academic world with a fanatical focus on implementation um, that we have seen you know, lead to good results for clients and growing the business over the years. We're now managing a little over 600 billion uh, with about 1500 employees globally. Um, In terms of my role at Dimensional, uh, I oversee a segment of our investment solutions group team that focuses on uh, delivery and production of content for clients, trying to bridge the gap between the research we do, uh, which in many cases, very robust, very empirical, uh, not as resonant with your average audience. And we try and find a way to make that stuff more digestible for our audiences. Well, that's great. And that's why I love having this conversation about AI with, with someone like yourself in Dimensional, who really takes a lot of time to research the impact of anything that comes down the pike in the world of finances. So let's get into it with AI. First, I have to admit, I probably go on chat GBT every single day. <laughs> I am addicted to that thing. It's wild. I just try not to tell my daughter who's a grad student, you know, I don't let her use it too often because who knows what she may use it for. But, you know, <laughs> we were talking before we got on and you said you, you mentioned that AI has been something that's been around a long time, not just over the past, you know, year or so. Can you talk a little bit about that? Surely. Yeah. When most people hear the term AI, artificial intelligence, their mind sometimes leaps to Skynet of Terminator fame and, you know, all of the consternation around chat GPT. It's probably making some of those people think, oh, here we go. You know, we got to protect John Connor at all costs. But the truth behind AI is that it's not as dramatic in most cases uh, for its deployment. And it's been with us for many, many years. My first experience with AI, I like to think of as back in the mid 90s. Many people will remember there was an enterprising little paperclip that would jump on the screen when you were using Microsoft Word. Its name was Clippy. And based on what you were typing, it might start to ask if you wanted assistance crafting something, whether it was a letter, a memo. 
And it was a very simple pattern recognition tool. It was seeing what you were doing and then making predictions about where you wanted to go from there. And if you just think about that simple concept, that's something that I think continues to permeate many of our lives even today. When I get in my car in the morning, look down at my phone, I will get an alert that says, Here's how long it's going to take you to get to the office if it happens to be a weekday. And, you know, there's a lot of those sort of predictive characteristics that we have in our lives. Um, so I think that the notion of AI maybe seems scarier on the surface than it actually is. In the case of ChatGPT, I think you're seeing another good example where um, one function of artificial intelligence is to summarize information, right? So we can go through, in the case of ChatGPT, you can ask it to write something with a couple of inputs. And what it'll do is do a search to find out what information there is out there and then try and package it in a neat uh, summarized way. Um, so again, I think of that as a form of assisted implementation. Uh, but again, in terms of making predictions about the future, I think that's where the investing relevance often falls short. And every investor is looking for any added advantage they can get. So when they hear maybe, you know, this is the new way to beat the market, they're probably trying to jump all over it. But let's talk a little bit about that. You know, we hear all these possible ETFs, mutual funds being created from AI and how they can outpredict or outguess the market. What what have you seen in, in your research? Yeah, you know, we can start with what some of the pitfalls would be with AI trying to do better than the market. You know, if you think about just in global equity markets alone every day, on average, there's about three quarters of a trillion dollars changing hands in terms of trading. And what that implies is a lot of information, a lot of expectations that are spread across the millions of market participants are being incorporated into market prices. This is why such a foundational principle of dimensionals investment approach is using the information market prices rather than trying to outguess them. So then if you think about what would enable an AI tool to make a good prediction about the future, well, it's usually when it's basing that prediction on assessments of relations that are pretty stable through time. So I'll give you one example. If you think about self-driving cars, uh, when they come up to a stop sign, they will begin to slow down. They're able to recognize stop signs because a stop sign today generally looks like a stop sign tomorrow, the next day, and so on and so forth. If it happened to be the case that a stop sign was octagonal one day, hexagonal the next, square the next week, changed colors, had different font in terms of you know the word stop, it might be challenging for that car to actually recognize when it sees a stop sign, probably going to roll right through the stop sign. So that's really what we're faced with if you think about the stock market. The level of uncertainty, the volatility of the relationships between different securities and their returns is just wild so that there's really no way an AI tool could be conditioned in that data set and make reasonable predictions about the future. In fact, if you look at just variables we know that predict returns, uh, you know, many stock characteristics have been successful in predicting returns in the long run. They really only explain a tiny portion of the variation in stock returns through time. Most of it is just unexpected variation in returns that happens when you get changes in the information set. So I wouldn't expect an AI tool to be able to outguess markets because it's unlikely it's going to be able to find anything the rest of the market hasn't found already. And this is borne out by the data. So, you know, when we think about some of the famous AI tools historically, many people would remember the Watson computer that beat Ken Jennings on Jeopardy, a you know, very successful demonstration of human technology. If you had to ask yourself, what would Watson do after dethroning the champ on Jeopardy? 
you probably guessed stock picking. And sure enough, in November 2017, there was an active ETF launched that uses the uh, AI of the Watson computer to select stocks. Now, over that period of time, since November 2017, it's delivered a cumulative return as of the end of May of about 36%. That's about half of what the broad U.S. stock market has done. The Russell 3000 has delivered about 73% cumulative since then. So you can see even the smartest computer that we've seen that probably knows way more about French literature or philosophy than I do is not any better at outguessing the market than I would be. So, Wes, um, it seems AI is a tool that impacts efficiency, right? So how does efficiency impact stock prices over, over the long term? Yeah, I think that's a good, uh, I guess, summation of what AI tools can potentially do. Um, the issue with the stock market is there's not a lot of evidence that markets were that inefficient to begin with. So when we look back historically, and you know, one proxy for this, one representation of how well markets do at pricing securities, is to look at the performance of traditional active mutual funds and ETFs. If it were the case that the markets were not incorporating information into prices on a timely basis, well, I would expect to see that show up in the performance of actively managed strategies. And frankly, we just don't see that evidence. And over the long haul, actively managed mutual funds and ETFs, whether it's stocks or bonds or even you know any asset class for which we have data, we see that they have meaningfully underperformed the overall market. In fact, there's fewer outperforming active strategies out there than you would expect by chance alone. So I think it's very likely to the case that information is getting into prices very efficiently, very quickly. And that's why I think some of these AI tools are, at best, giving you a subset of the information or acting on a subset of the information that the market already knows. You might say the best AI tool is the aggregate intelligence of the market, not artificial intelligence of machines. Right. But would you then utilize that or look at the efficiency of, let's say, the a person who is working, the laborer, for instance, or um, someone who's employed and utilizing AI and providing efficiency from a labor perspective to potentially improve profits and, and long-term stock prices as well. So, I mean, if you're talking about making a company more well-run, which right. I think is sort of a, a separate question to this, which is, you know, how can this be used more effectively in business? I think that's where the some of the big opportunity sets would lie. I think, you know, if you can... Um, have a tool that's giving you insights from data sources and helping you kind of see actionable, you know, consequences of things, and then you know, use that as a course of action to make your overall business more streamlined and more effective, and do better client services. I think that's definitely an area where AI tools have the potential, and are likely in certain cases already embedded in some of the existing, you know, the. Uh, the um, CRM data sets that a lot of us use to kind of understand our client activity and past relations, uh, you know, that's something where you might have that kind of functionality embedded already, which is an important part. But, you know, in terms of identifying information, which is what investors are often asking about AI, which is, can it find information out there, give me insights about other businesses that can help me determine whether over or under price, very unlikely that they are finding any information out there that's not already in market prices. And here's the key thing. If they are finding information that's not currently in market prices, guess what? Just the act of discovering it puts it into market prices and makes the market that much more efficient. And Wes, we've we've talked a lot about AI and, and how it may or may not impact equities, but what about on the fixed income side? I know Dimensional has a similar philosophy about not being able to predict the directions of bond prices or interest rates, but do you think AI may add any value on 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 the bond side? 
Yeah, I think the the same sort of premise would be there, right? That there's even more trading in fixed income markets than there is in equity markets overall. And when we look at similar types of tests for the performance of active fund managers in bonds, they fare just as poorly as they do uh, within equities. And it's funny because even in areas of the market where you know many investors might not attribute it to very frequent trading. So let's say I'm looking at high yield corporate bonds. You know, you would think that if an active manager were going to get an advantage anywhere, it would be there in the high yield bond space. And yet that's one of the lowest rates of outperformance we see from traditional active managers. So I think it's a tall task no matter where you're looking. And and you look over at fixed income uh, within bonds, you see that the relation between the variables you would use to predict returns. So the maturity or the duration of a bond, um, it's credit quality. It, these things are explaining even more in the variation of returns than variables in the stock market. Um, and I think that's an important starting point that you know you got to be able to add you got to be able to make predictions about, for example, how interest rates are going to change. Uh, you know, I think that would be the avenue towards doing better than the overall bond market with an AI tool. Um, academic models have been notoriously unsuccessful trying to predict interest rate movements in the future. Um, and again, I think it's just because you're starting out with an informational disadvantage. It's you or even the power of a Watson type computer up against the overall marketplace. And that's tough sledding when it comes to trying to find an informational advantage. And and, and I think it's such an important point. I think so many people underestimate the difficulty of managing a bond portfolio. They think you just buy a bond and hold it to maturities and it's simple as that. But right. we saw like a year like last year. That's not that's not always the case. So I, I I do agree. I think you know managing a bond portfolio is is as difficult, if not more difficult, um than than sometimes managing an equity portfolio. Yeah, I would agree, especially when you look at you know, over the past year, when interest rates were rising and going from a few basis points to four or five percent on the short end of the yield curve, many investors started to think that all of a sudden bond investing was easy. That maybe they didn't need anything more than just a money market fund, you know, to to, to uh, target investing and fixed income. But you know that rise in interest rates really belied the complexity of the impact on fixed income markets, where the yield curves were you know changing shape and all of a sudden becoming downward sloping. And I think that just illustrates how dynamic that segment of the market is. And, and now people are going to try and attribute um, or, you know, give power to an AI tool to try and make these predictions in the future. I think it's a, a tall task for sure. I, I am curious, though, because Dimensional is so research driven, which is what we love about Dimensional is, is the research behind all the theories and and, and everything, everything you do when building portfolios and and, and building you know, like the Fama French three factor, which is now a five factor model. So I do wonder though, from a research standpoint, do you see possibly that dimensional will use AI getting a little to Peter's point of efficiencies, but do you see AI playing any role in research? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, when we think about all of the research that's done, you know, identifying these factors or variables that will predict stock returns, you know, one of the criticisms of of that segment of the industry is how it's just spiraled out of control. You have these academic papers claiming there's four or five hundred factors that have been discovered and published in peer-reviewed journals. And I think this is what happens when you have basically one data set that everyone is looking at. And you know, most people are looking at the U.S. stock market because it has the longest history, the broadest cross-section. And so they're naturally going to test their theories there first, which is going to give rise to many spurious results. 
and you know the the machine learning models that some people might associate with AI tools um, are likely to pick up patterns there without a lot of context. I know they tended to hone in on one specific one. It's sort of an esoteric pattern um, that was you know sort of a short term reversal, so based on very short term price movements in the highest volatility stocks. We sometimes call you know uh, idiosyncratic volatility or low liquidity stocks. And, you know, they were finding the parameters of an experiment that would give you the best return premium. And you take a step back with some human oversight and look at this and say, okay, well, this has a thousand percent turnover per month in the most illiquid stocks in the U.S. market. What part of that proposition seems like it's going to hold water in a real world portfolio? So I think that's one of the challenges with turning over the research efforts to a computer that might not have, you know, there's a difference between knowledge which very clearly the Watson computer had, and wisdom, which a very talented researcher has. And I think the marriage between a human and a tool can possibly bring out uh, the best in both. Just like back in the day when you know we found that computers could beat humans in chess, well, the best form of a chess player then became a human who was using a computer uh, to learn moves. You know, it's amazing about all of this. And, and obviously, when we talk about investing, it's all about trying to get the best return possible. At least that's what investors think rather than focusing on the return that's best for them. But, you know, we have a century's worth of data and the stock market's returned, what, about average 10% a year, which is 7% more than inflation. Yet people are still looking for these added, this added advantage. And no matter how much we all talk about the downfall of AI and the, um, you know, the inability to outguess the market, you know, there's going to be a lot of money made by some money managers out there saying that we have the AI model that's now going to beat the market. And that's always a concern when you have this new type of things and then investors just get lured into it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, we always say that it's not about timing the market, it's time in the market. And we see historically that if you if you happen to be out of the market for just a handful of days, if you missed the best five days of the U.S. stock market going back to 1990, you would have lost about a third of your return that you could have had just by being disciplined and patient in the market. And if these AI tools are resulting in you having a subset of the market rather than being broadly diversified, I mean, if you miss the best 25% of performers in the U.S. market per calendar year, then you essentially lose all of the positive market return that would have been offered to a broadly diversified investors. So I think these are the opportunity costs are very high. And I look at it as a class where there's going to be lessons learned and the market will teach you those lessons, but the market charges a very high tuition. And I would not want to pay that. So we so agree with that. I was reading an article in the Financial Times where the David Booth, the founder and um, uh, currency or ex-CEO of Dimensional Fund Advisors, you know, he said, I asked ChatGPT, is it safer to trust the market price mechanism than rely on an AI model to find mispricing in stocks and bonds? And the response from ChatGPT was, it is generally safer to trust the market price mechanism than to rely on an AI model to find mispricings in stocks and bonds. <laughs> so I guess they they know the real, even ChatGPT. I mean, if you don't trust us, trust you know AI itself on what it's saying, right? Yeah, that's great self-awareness. Yeah. Um, so Wes, is there anything that you think is important for our listeners to really take away from this other than what we've already talked about that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I think it's it kind of comes back to this idea that the most dangerous four words that someone can utter, it's different this time. 
And anytime we have some sort of breakthrough in a technology that's loosely related to the market, or even if it's not, it might be seen as just sort of a changing of the guard or a new normal. And pretty much every time that that has been assessed about the market, um, you know, we look and see, okay, with the greater context of the history of the market, this is not particularly unusual. And most of the central tenets that we think lead to a successful investment experience, which is, you know, a disciplined approach towards asset allocation, uh, having low turnover within portfolios, worrying about your costs, your taxes, those things tend to win out no matter what has been going on in markets. So we might be looking back on this in a year thinking, wow, we were into that for a few months. That seems pretty silly. We agree. Well, Wes, again, thank you so much for your time today on this really important topic. And for our listeners that aren't familiar with Dimensional Fund and you, you find yourself being a research geek, I highly recommend going to dfaus.com and check out some of the research. It's truly phenomenal stuff. Uh, again, Wes, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you, thanks Wes. for having me. And Charlie, Peter, how can people reach you? Sure. I'd uh, just like to add one last thing. You know, again, based on this conversation, it seems like we won't be able to predict the future, but we could certainly provide sound financial advice. And you could always call our office at 631-777-1030 or visit us at yourpathwaystowealth.com. And please follow and like this podcast and, of course, share with others. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to your Pathways to Wealth podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at Wealth Enhancement Group or give us a call at 1-800-492-1222. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Wealth Enhancement Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 